0: Right, all right, all right, all right. Day two hundred and thirty five. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors Podcast. My name is Keith, and remember this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see our Selves. All right, so much to get through today. Uh, we're in the thick of one of my like favorite little books in the Old Testament, Esther. Right? It's like slept on. You know what I'm saying? It's not uh something your church is probably preaching through right now, but Esther is this brilliant narrative, brilliantly crafted, uh, very aesthetically pleasing and beautiful uh, narrative that is crafted to tell you about the Jews in the Persian Empire. So remember last time, really briefly. Last time we talked about how Esther was like, yo, if I die, I die, chief. If I die, I die. (laughs) Like, I'm going before the king. You're not supposed to go before the king without being summoned to the king or you could die. And she's like, no, no, I could die. I'm going, like, I'll put my life on the line for my people because Haman, right? The enemy of the Jews in this time, Haman had put this royal decree, uh, right, um, um, in law that said the Jews were to be exterminated. And so chapter five opens up. And the moment we've been waiting for comes. She goes before the king. Now, listen, after all the prayer and all the fasting, remember, she told uh, her, her cousin Mordecai and all the Jews to fast, right, to pray. And they mourn. And she fasted for three days and she proceeds. And she goes before the king. Right. And I think this is just side note. Right. We just we catch so much application, even in the thick of the story. Listen, the people of God should have calloused knees and we should have calloused hands. And courageous hearts right callous knees callous hands and courageous hearts no no no. we pray fervently no, no no we pray we pray we pray but we work we work and we do things that take courage right we don't we don't do things in the absence of fear but in spite of our fear right in spite of being scared we still do what God has called us to do um, so we we do what God has called us to do and um, we see Esther doing that right so she goes before him and the text harken back to uh, uh, 411 says she finds favor <laughs> it says she finds favor in the eyes of the king she doesn't die right and you see the lord kind of working behind the scenes and we're gonna to get to that i'm getting ahead of myself listen proverbs 21:1 says this listen a king's heart is like channeled water in the lord's hand he directs it wherever he chooses and so you see the lord working behind the scene working on the heart level of this pagan king and one of the biggest themes of the book is the divine providence of god right he is guiding the story he is also he is present even when it seems he is absent side note uh one of the things that um was true of a lot of second temple jews so a lot of jews that lived in this time period is um they were debating about what books were uh in the canon what books were in the the the, what we would call the old testament what books were in the bible and one of the things that many disagreed about was the book of esther right and the reason many uh that felt like esther should not be in the canon was because it didn't mention god at all it didn't mention the divine name yahweh Yod it didn't mention um uh elohim the, the kind of generic name for god it didn't mention l it didn't mention El leon which is um um um, god most high like none of those none of those words and so um many was like Nah, i don't know but 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 you see but one of the things the book is, is so subtle and crafty because even though god seems to be absent his fingerprints are all over the story right his fingerprints are all over the story things are just happening in in such a way that that you know that god is behind the scenes kind of guiding providentially and moving this thing and this is the same thing like with our lives i say this all the time listen our lives is sometimes it seems like God is not saying anything. It seems like God is not doing anything. It seems like he's not here with us and all that we going through. But this story, the book of Esther reminds us is that when God seems most absent, that's when he's so, so, so much uh, just so present uh, with his people. And So Esther gains favor. And she asks to throw him a banquet right so she goes before the king she she as she know how he rock he like the luxurious parties and all that she says yo i'm gonna throw a banquet for you and haman and uh, what's interesting is uh she, he agrees to it for sure but one of the things you see in 5 4 and um well uh, someone pointed this out to me in hebrew right so in 5 4 uh, like again, the name God is not mentioned, but the continents uh, of the words she says in 5-4 and in a clause in, in that verse uh, are the little letters of the divine name. So Yod, Hay, Vav, Hay, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. And so literally, even though God's name is not explicitly uh, in this book, again, you see uh, just the remnants of his fingerprints kind of all over it. And so, uh, yeah, they have the banquet. The king gets drunk right? He gives her another request and guess what? Uh, another banquet. And so what she is doing, is she's pandering to his ego and to his arrogance. Um, and it will prove to be uh, their downfall, right? The Persian kingdom's downfall. And so the narrative is moving really slow, right? It's meant to create suspense. But one of the things you see is that Haman, remember, he's the enemy of the Jews, goes home, basically sees Mordecai, right? And Mordecai's not bowing down to Haman. Remember, we talked about last time. He's like, no, no, we only bow down to Yahweh. And so he gets back mad at Mordecai right after even after all of the joy of the party that esther just threw him in the king right and so he gets mad goes home tells his family they tell him to build a gallow that is 75 feet tall to hang mordecai on right and so this this gallow or, or, or a tree would be will make uh, a haman or excuse me will make mordecai a public spectacle and he would be humiliated before everyone and so chapter six comes turning point Right. One of the biggest reversals and ironic chapters in the whole Bible outside of the cross. Um, And again, this book is so lifelike in so many ways. It's so much irony. Right. That which is expected to happen does not. And that which is unexpected actually does. And so the king is up one night. He can't sleep. And this is not a coincidence. Right. He he can't sleep. And um, so, you know what he does? He starts having his annals now, Persian annals. Uh, in those days he has them read to him Persian annals basically had the things he had decreed in the past things that were decreed in the Persian Empire in the past current events right and memorable deeds all housed and inscribed uh, in the king's palace and so what he hears is this it says this text says "Um, they found the written report of how Mordecai had informed on uh, Bigthana and Teresh two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the entrance when they planned to assassinate king assassinate king uh, Ahuzerus or Xerxes Um, chapter two tells us about this. So Mordecai in chapter two had saw two cats that wanted to kill my man, right? They wanted to kill the King. And he basically like told Esther and Esther told the King. And so the King didn't die. Right. And so they read the annals and Mordecai was supposed to be honored for that, for that reality. And so it says this, um, that essentially, um, going back to the story, uh, Mordecai learned of the plot and the two, the the two men uh, were done away with. So Xerxes is like, okay, I have to honor and give special recognition to this guy. So shortly after this, listen, Haman, stay with me. Haman is entering in to request the execution of Mordecai. And you know what happens? The king is going to declare the actual exaltation of Mordecai. Right. So you see the reversal. Super ironic. Mordecai goes from a probable murder victim to majesty in a matter of minutes. So you see that the Lord is reversing the fates, reversing the fortunes of his people. God providentially happens to have Haman in the court when he's looking for someone to place the king's robes on Mordecai. Right. And so he put him on the king's horse and he lets him parade around the city. Mordecai is honored among the people. And I love it because when when, when Haman comes before the king, he says, yo, he comes before the king, and he's like, the the, the king uses ambiguous language. He's like, what should I do for the man the king wants to honor? uh, uh, Haman thinks it's him, but it's actually Mordecai. And so he gives this long thing, this long speech, and he's like, bet, go do it for Mordecai, the dude you hate. And so Mordecai is honored, right? And uh, you, you just see, that uh, the text is, is is so interesting because the God is catching the wise in their wisdom and he catches the crafty in the craftiness right so fighting against him is like fighting against yourself and so Haman uh, uh, is actually his downfall actually comes uh, because of uh, his fighting against God you, you as grandma used to say listen your arms are too short to box with God once again narrative moving slow it starts to speed up chapter 7 comes and uh, the king they have another banquet uh, they have another feast And the king is saying, hey, I'll give you whatever you want, right? And Esther says, listen, if I found favor with you, your majesty, and if the king is pleased, spare my life. This is my request and spare my people. This is my desire for my people, and I've been sold to destruction, death, and annihilation. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept silent. Indeed, the trouble wouldn't be worth burdening the king. Listen, she says, she doesn't just say I'm a Jew, but she identifies herself with the very people Haman had put on Xerxes' radar to kill right? And not only that, she's very wise and, 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 and uh, precise in her word, wordage, right? And so uh, what she does is basically she, she goes to the king and say, hey, listen, um, if we was like slaves, like it would be different, right? And if we get killed, you won't have any more people captive, right? So to work in the kingdom. And so Xerxes is tricked into killing his own uh, beloved Bahaman earlier, and highly favored wife esther and she's like i won't even be here no more right and so haman the one who wanted mordecai to bow down before him and worship is now bowing before esther asking for mercy right and so god is going to swap the reversals and now haman the one who created the gallows for mordecai to be killed on will be killed on those very gallows that he killed that he built for mordecai right and proverbs again gives us wisdom and insight into this text it says the righteousness. Of the upright delivers them but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires Proverbs 11 6 lastly Esther chapter 8 what happens is this um, everything seems to be all good she goes before the king and he's like I got you um, but what happens is uh, he raises the king uh, gives the honor and authority to both Mordecai and Esther right um, um, he, he raises the authority uh, uh, of them and he says the enemy the enemy seems to be done away with, right? So Haman seems to be uh, done away with because he's killed, but but the Jews are still in danger of becoming extinct. Why? Because Haman had put a decree in that the Jews should be killed. Now remember in Persia, decrees are irrevocable, right? Decrees are irrevocable. And he can't change the law right he can't change it so what's at stake you may ask like so so what's the problem what's at stake no no. if the jews are killed we have no messiah we have no jesus right if the jews are killed we have no bible right we don't have a completed canon of scripture old and new testament if the jews are killed we don't have a christ so we don't have christians right if if the jews are killed god's promises are at stake right god promised adam and eve that the seed of the woman crush the head of the serpent he promised to abraham that he would have sons as as many as the grains of the sea straw he promised david his son would sit on the throne forever he promised Abraham, that his folks would live in the land as long as the heavens are above the earth. So all of this is at stake. Right? And so what God does though, God overturns and undoes that which seems un- impossible to undo. Right? So this royal decree that's intact was irrevocable. But what the Lord allows to happen is for Esther and, and Mordecai to be elevated in the kingdom so much that the king was able to create another decree. Right. And so essentially in chapter eight, verse 11, the king says, no, 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 the Jews can defend themselves. Right. And fight back. Right. For their freedom and for their very lives. And so now they can fight against any enemies that will come against them in the name of the law. And so we see the tides turn where the Jews goes from those who are suffering to those who are rejoicing right suffering to glory that's the pattern of redemption listen god protects and preserves his people so that he can keep every last one of his promises to his people right even when it seems he is not there and when it seems like uh it is the most unlikely thing possible for god to be faithful to his promises he can overturn not just things that seem improbable but things that seem impossible and we've seen it once again in the death and resurrection of jesus christ right listen when god seems to be most absent that's when he's most present working behind the scenes but still deserving all of the credit and glory let's pray god we ask for your mercy we pray that we will remember that uh even when things seem improbable or impossible lord uh you reverse decrees. God, you can do anything. You are reverse fates. You reverse fortunes, Lord. And we pray, Father, that we would trust in you today to do that very thing that we think today is so hard in our lives. In Christ's name.